our message series at Life Church, where we attend, has been about being generous. And it's, I'm sure, by no coincidence that the daily devotional that we're doing with our kids and some friends has really mirrored what we're doing. Now, there's no connection between this devotional and Life Church, uh, but it's just uh, amazing that God works in strange ways, that's for sure. Well, Life Church has 43, I think, 43 campuses across the United States. They've been opening one or two a year since we've been attending in the two years and have some others, I guess, in the works. Plus, it also has Church Online, which reaches around the world, and they have listeners from all over the world. Uh, Life Church is the ones that started the U Version Bible app. Uh, it's in well over 2,000 different Bible versions in almost 1,900 different languages. And one of the greatest things about all of this is it's free. You know, everybody likes free stuff. So it costs absolutely nothing to download the app. Uh, it doesn't matter if you live in Oklahoma City, where it's all originated, or if you live in Russia, you know, you, you pay nothing for it. So how is this possible? Well, it's made possible through the offerings given by those who worship at Life Church. Now, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying it because I'm really amazed. <coughs> because I only see a tip of what it costs to be able to do this. Now, I know there's a, a team of full-time employees working to make the app better and to get more different languages and versions of the Bible uh, so people can be able to have it. Um, because the goal is to have it available to more and more people worldwide. So th this is just an example of generosity, but it's one I need to follow, and maybe you do too, and that's giving as the Lord leads us to do it. Now, I know I usually try to make my message intro a little bit lighter, but I couldn't help it, but to let you know this message is not going to be about stewardship or tithing or whatever, that's next month. So, we need to just realize that when you see the Lord at work, we need to let others know what God's doing and how he's doing it. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for just who you are. And it's amazing that you would be interested in me and that you would love me and everybody else. And, you know, when I think about that and his you know, you're watching me right now while I'm doing this. And the ears that hear it in the coming days, you're watching over those people as well. And so, Father, I just give you thanks for being the great God that you are. And Lord, just be with us now as we look at your word and hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God 
as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? A song made popular a while back, now by Don Francisco, and I may have used it before if I had to deal with it. Okay, Unashamed and naked in a garden that has never seen the rain, rulers of a kingdom full of joy, never marred by any pain. The morning all around it then seems to celebrate the life they've just begun, and in the majesty of innocence, the king and queen come walking in the sun, but the master of deception now begins his dissection of the word, and with all his craft and subtly, the serpent twists the simple truths they've heard. While hanging in the balance is a world that has been placed at their command, and all their unborn children die as both of them bow to Satan's hand. And just before the evening, in the cool of the day, they hear the voice of God as he is walking, and they can't abide in his presence, so they try to hide away. But they still hear the sound of his calling. Adam, Adam, where are you? In the stifling heat of summer, now the gardener and his wife are in the field, and it seems that thorns and thistles are the only crop his struggles ever yield. He eats his meals in sorrow he, till he sinks in the dust whence he came. But all down through the ages he can hear his maker calling out his name, Adam, Adam, where are you? And though the curse has long been broken, Adam's sons are still the prisoners of their fears, rushing helter-skelter to destruction from their fingers with their fingers and their ears, while the Father's voice is calling with an urgency I've never heard before. Won't you come in from the darkness now, before it's time to finally close the door? Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam, I love you. Well, most of us know the beginning of that story. The crafty snake had tricked Eve into eating from the forbidden tree. And she gave some to Adam, who had been standing there watching all this happen and the conversation between the snake and Eve. <coughs> Excuse me. But now, for whatever reason, they thought being naked wasn't a good idea. Woohoo! So they made some fig leaf outfits. And then, in verses 8 and 9, were after Adam and Eve had eaten from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did they know what they had done was wrong? That's why they got dressed. That's why they hid, because they knew it was wrong. They forgot who they were dealing with, the one who had created them. You know, sometimes I forget who's keeping track of me. Not doing it to be nosy, but he does it out of love. And God asks the same question, because the snake, the snake's still at work. I haven't eaten from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, but I may have fallen away, and 
I can be able to hear, Don, where are you? You haven't been studying my word like you used to. Where are you? You aren't singing the worship songs with the gusto that you did before. Where are you? You aren't putting much effort into the life group that you're leading. Where are you? Don, you just seem to throw something together so you can have a podcast to do. Don, where are you? Don, you're very critical of those that you love. Where are you? You know, the list could go on and on and on. We know that God was not clueless as to where Adam and Eve were. He knows where we all are all the time. But Adam and Eve, being foolish and scared, thought that they could hide. Now, just a note on this passage. Uh, Adam was told by God not to eat from this tree. Eve was never told directly. Adam, I'm sure at some point, just to make conversation, told Eve that they're not supposed to eat from that. So, and going along with that, we don't need to be told directly when we're messing up. I know my sins of commission. I know my sins of omission. And I know when I mess up. I know when I can't hide it from God. Even though I might try, you know, oh, you know, God won't know. He's not going to see me. I have to ask myself, where am I in my walk with the Lord? Have I made any progress in the last two years, five years, 25 years, 45 years? I mean, a lot since 45 years. I know that. But the Lord sees me in my walk and you know guides me as I'm going along. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So I have to ask myself, am I on the right road headed for the narrow gate? Or maybe I've taken a detour. You know, maybe I've pulled into a rest stop and I'm just happy being there and not having to worry about other things. Maybe I made a wrong turn. You know, I haven't done that before. And I need to get turned back around. You know, with your GPS, when you don't turn where they tell you to turn, it'll say, you know, to go to the next intersection and make a U-turn. That's what I need to do if I find myself on the wrong road. Or am I even using the right GPS, God's plan in Scripture? If I'm not following that, I know I'm not on the right road, and I know I need to make a difference in where I'm going and how I'm getting there. So let's look at another location where we find God is looking for somebody else. And it's back in Genesis, after Abel had killed his brother Cain. In 4.9 it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Where's your brother, Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, we know it was a rhetorical question. And we know that Abel fell for it because he said, I, I don't know where he is, Lord. Huh. Well, in verse 10, the Lord said, What have you done? Listen to your brother's blood that cries out to me from the ground. Well, we know that God knew what had happened. And when he said, Listen to your brother's blood that cries out to me from the ground, God was speaking to Abel's conscience. And he not only killed his brother, but he'd buried him to try and keep others from knowing. Again, the hiding once again, just like his parents. So because of this, Cain was given a life sentence. <coughs> Excuse me. In verses 11 and 12, we hear this. Now you are under a curse, says the Lord, and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Well, remember back in Genesis 4-2, it tells us that Cain, or excuse me, Abel, worked the soil. And so that was his um, link to the Lord and his downfall as well. Now, he would have a lifelong struggle to make a living. And just remember, we can trace our lineage back to him as well. Now, I want to look at where are you from another angle. Okay, in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 45, it gives us a parable of the sheep and the goats. Okay, the sheep are on the right, the goats are on the left. The sheep had been doing what they knew they should. In verse 40, it says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Well, the goats, on the other hand, they were not doing so well. Because in verse 45, it says, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So, where am I? Where are you? Are you on the right or are you on the left? Or maybe you're, you're standing in the middle and you're not sure. Or maybe you kind of go back and forth. You know, sometimes you're doing the right thing and so you're on the right side. And sometimes you're neglecting that and, and you're on the left side with the rest of those goats. And so it's time to get our act together and get over on the other side of the aisle. Where are we when it comes to helping someone in need? That's what it's all about. Now, for some of us, it may depend on who the someone is. I have to admit that I would be, or I am, faster at helping some people than others. When I see the, whole, the homeless, Sometimes I feel I'm supposed to help, other times not. Is it up to me to make that call? 
I don't think so. But when I or when we see one of the least of these, we should be willing to help. But I have to admit, sometimes this quote comes to mind when I think about helping the homeless. This Give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach him how to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. So sometimes I wonder, are we really helping by giving a handout? Should we be giving a hand up instead of a handout? One thing I know for sure, it's easier to give a handout. Because if you're going to give a hand up, oh, that means you need to get involved. You need to do something and try to make a difference. Good book to read is same kind of different as me. And you'll see what can happen when somebody's given a chance. Well, then there's another way of looking at um, where someone is, and that's the prodigal's father. Okay, Luke 15 tells us about him. The first thing it tells us in my mind is he was foolish to give his son his inheritance. He should have said, no, that ain't happening, son. Just get back to work. But the second thing it tells us is the father wanted his son back. Now, in the meantime, after blowing all that he had inherited, the son decided that, you know, he could maybe go home and and just be a hired man, you know, not be taken back as a son, but just be one of the workers there. So in, in verse 20, Jesus tells us this. But while he, meaning the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Now, to me, this verse verse makes it sound like the father was sitting in his rocking chair out on the front porch, just like always, waiting to see a sign of his son. You know, I don't think the father just happened to be looking down the road at that time and saying, oh, hey, that looks kind of like my son. No, he was there waiting. He was wondering where he was. So there's probably many times the father said, son, where are you? And the other son was probably saying, I don't know where he is, but I'm glad he's not here. Then we find sometimes when the roles were reversed, at least concerning Jesus. In Mark 1, Jesus had healed many people. And here's what we're told in verses 35 to 37. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. Now, we don't know where Jesus went or how far he had gone to find this solitary place. But the word solitary in Greek also means desolate, wilderness, a desert. So it's not like he just took a stroll down the street. No, he wanted to get away, get away from everybody any distractions that there might be, so he could spend time alone with his father. Now, there may have been times when they were looking for Jesus that they called out, Jesus, where are you? But it doesn't tell us 
when they started looking. It says that Jesus had gone out very early in the morning while it was still dark, so we could assume he'd been gone for a while. Now, in John 11, we find Jesus' friend Lazarus is taken ill, and Mary and Martha sent for Jesus, but he waited two days before going to Judea. You know, you can almost hear Mary and Martha calling out, Jesus, where are you? He should have been here by now. The men we sent to give him the message, they've been back for two days. Jesus, where are you? I can hear myself calling that out. Jesus, there's this three-year-old boy in the hospital that's, that's dying. Jesus, where are you? Jesus' ministry, they're just not accomplishing what they feel you wanted them to do, and, and everything's just kind of falling apart. Jesus, where are you? Jesus' marriage, you know, it's just failing. You know, it was a good, strong family, and now... You know, they're really struggling and uh, just ready to get divorced. Jesus, where are you? I believe many of us, well, probably most of us, had called out in that way at different times. We feel like Mary in John eleven thirty two, where she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That boy in the hospital would be alive. This ministry would be thriving and serving. This marriage would be reconciled and strong. Whatever else we've called out to Jesus, wanting to know his whereabouts. <clears throat> but Jesus was there with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He had everything under control. Because in verse 4, it says, This sickness will not end in death. And even when it may, Jesus is still there. Let's look at another time when Jesus wasn't where he was expected to be. Luke 24, verses 1 through 3. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Where is Jesus? Jesus, where are you? Well, after this, we read in John 20, verses 14 and 15. At this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Where is Jesus? The women were not the only ones being asked that question. Matthew 28 tells us about the guards that had been sent to the tomb. They had to be asking, where's Jesus? What happened? They knew that their lives were on the line for sure. They went to the chief priests, probably very reluctantly, and told them their story. And you know that the chief priests had to be asking, where is Jesus? You know, where is this guy? The chief priest paid off the guards and told him in verse 13, You are to say, 
His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. And the Jews believed that, and they still believe that. So when you feel God asking you, where are you? He's not asking about your physical location. He knows exactly where you are, kind of like your GPS. You know, still amazes me. But God knows exactly where you are. But he's not interested in the location. He's interested in your passion. What it is you know that you should be doing for him and how you can be doing more. Because he needs us to be doing the things for him. Okay, we're his hands, we're his feet. And, you know, God will accomplish his ways through you or through someone else, okay? but it's going to happen. So we need to regain that passion. So when Jesus says, where are you? He's going to say, I know right where you are. You know, you're doing what I called you to do. You know, you're making the difference that I've called you to make. Praise my name. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks that as believers, we, we know all this. You know, it's nothing new to us. But, Lord, just refresh our minds, refresh our memories, that we can be just reminded of what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to go about doing it. Because, Lord, I can only speak for myself, and I know sometimes I'm not doing a very good job. But, Lord, I know that you're always doing the best job. So, Father, help me to draw myself closer to you on that road, as narrow as it may be, and be doing what it is that you need me to be doing and how you need me to be doing it and where it is that you need me. Help me to remember that I can't hide from you. I can't hide what I do right or wrong from you. And so, Father, you will call out to me sometimes, where are you? And, Lord, I want to be able to say, I'm right here, Lord, doing just what you ask me to do. Now, if anyone's listening to this that Maybe uh, it's all foreign to them. And, you know, they've heard about Jesus. Maybe they've attended church for a long time, but they've never made a commitment. They've never turned over their life to you. Lord, let today be the day that they do that. Lord, let them realize that Jesus died for their sins, and he rose from the dead, and he's coming back again. And we just need to be ready, because once he comes back, it's going to be too late. There's no second chance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.